Welcome to another episode of Living and Ultra Life. This week we are joined by a lady that I have been following on social media for a while and just going, damn, this this girl's got some chops and she's bold and got some goals out there and she's also a kick-ass runner and I thought, well, I'm just going to throw this out there and see if I can get her to come on the podcast because I don't know, you know, she doesn't know me from Adam and I'm nobody and this gal is really, really special and I think you guys are going to love her. So without further ado, let's bring in Megan Gould. Megan, you ready to go for a run? I am. Let's do it. All right. So let's start out with, before we get into the the meat of this whole thing, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you live, what you do when you're not running and coaching. Yeah. So uh, my name is Megan Gould. I am a slow-ish ultra runner, but that's not how I grew up necessarily. I grew up in New Hampshire playing a lot of team sports and just, you know, being relatively active. Um, but I never liked to run any further than I had to for the purposes of playing a soccer game or running the bases in softball. And it wasn't until like after I graduated from college that when I didn't have a team sport anymore that I thought, you know, I got to figure out an, another way to stay active and healthy. And it started out with just a little bit of lifting and strength training and a little bit of running around the block. And it wasn't until my brother, my younger brother challenged me to a half marathon many years later that I was like, okay, I think I'm going to make this running thing like kind of serious. But even then it was only serious because I just wanted to beat my brother. (laughs) That is so awesome. (laughs) Which I did not do. I did not do because he's got, he's five years younger than me. And, you know, at the time he was like, super, super fit. And so he won. It it is on the record. He did win, (laughs) but he has not beaten me since. I'll just put that out there. Okay. So he hasn't beat you. So one time he beat you and that's it. So the the gauntlet's been thrown down. It it has been thrown down, but I don't think he's going to take me up on it again because he knows just how far I'm capable of running. So any race that we do, I will just out distance him. So I just don't think he'll take me up on it. (laughs) (laughs) Side note, this is the brother that when I, spoiler alert for people, I have, I have run the Tahoe 200, but when I was getting ready to, to do the Tahoe 200, he bought me a couple gifts, one of which was a flare gun. And the other was a bobcat call. Like that was, those were clearly gag gifts, but his little note to me essentially said like, here you go. Merry Christmas. This is as much as I know about ultra running. And he just handed me these two. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I want to meet this guy someday because he sounds like the total practical joker, like something I would do. So, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. For sure. So he, he, we did that race. He ended up beating me. And while I enjoyed it, I wasn't like, this is my thing. I'm going to do running forever now. But eventually I got the bug again and started to do some road marathons. And then it eventually morphed into ultras because I just couldn't take the pounding on the pavement anymore. So that's a little like behind the scenes, like I got to ultra running from a lot of years of road running. So how did you start in like, what was your first ultra race? My first ultra was, um, the old Pineland farms, I have to say the old one, because it's like, you can still do Pineland farms up in Maine, um, but it's under different management now. And it's a different location, different course. But um, so my first ultra was the Pineland farms 50 K. And I think I finished, well, I I finished, which was like my, which was my first goal. Um, I think I finished in maybe like six hours and 30 minutes, maybe. And I was terrified going into it. I thought, what have I gotten myself into? And I came across the finish line and I was like super excited. And also I was like, okay, that didn't suck as much as I thought it was going to. What should I do next? (laughs) And and was that a 50K? Yes, it was a 50K. Awesome. So you were like, okay, that didn't suck. Hmm. So (laughs) how long after the race did it take you to sign up for the next one? Well... Gosh, it was so long ago now. I think I probably, I did that race again the following year. So I did that race probably like t- twice. And then I did a, f- then I did the Pineland Farms 50 miler there. So I've run it at, at Pineland Farms three times, but it was probably like a few months later that, you know, I sort of came down off the high of doing that race. And then the low that comes with it sometimes where you're like, 
what does my life mean now that I'm not training for anything? And then, you know, I think I sort of was just like, I don't have to just do one of these things. I can do another one. And since at the time, this was probably like almost 10 years ago now, there weren't a lot of ultras in the New England region, or at least there weren't a lot of a lot of ultras within like driving distance of me. And so this was the one that was accessible. Our family has like a little lake cabin that's very close to that. So we would go there and then go to the race. So it was like very convenient from a logistical standpoint. So I did that race a couple times and then I was like, okay, I've done this course. I know this course time to look for something else. And that's when I started to branch out into longer distances and other races. That's awesome. So what were you doing for work at the time? Mm. When I started Gosh. So back when I was doing like the half and road marathons, I was actually working in Boston and I worked for Pepsi and I did grassroots marketing for some of their quote unquote, uh, natural, more natural beverages like Sobe and Naked Juice. And then over the years, I sort of transitioned out of that and went, um, opened my own little sort of like box gym for a little while then we have such a like crazy work history and moving history because my husband and I lived in New Hampshire and then we moved to Arizona for a bit and and then we went to Burlington, Vermont, which is where I actually went to school. So that felt like very uh, familiar territory to me, like sort of like my home base. And then, then we moved back to New Hampshire. So we've sort of been like bebopping around for a little bit. Okay. And how long have you been back up in New Hampshire now? Seven years, I think, total. Are you like in central New Hampshire? Are you, where are you situated? Sort of like southern, but like center of the state. So southern half, like about half an hour from the Massachusetts border, half hour, 40 minutes from the Massachusetts border. Okay. So you're not quite up into the New Hampshire mountains then? No, it takes me probably like if I want to get up to like Sunapee or, you know, like starting to just sort of dip into the whites, it'll take me like an hour and a half. And then it's like a full two and a half hours for me to get up into the whites, like way up there. Okay. But it's not like, it's not, it's not challenging. It's just a little bit of a drive. Yeah. That's awesome. That is cool. So now as you continued to run, you continued to progress up the ultra mileage scales, 50 mm-hmm. milers, 100 Ks, um, 100 miles. Actually, I've never to date, I've actually never done 100 K. I DNF'd 100 okay. K, uh, okay. but I've not actually got a recorded finish at 100 K. <laughs> there you go. You just flew right on past that one. Yeah, that was like, that was a very humbling day for me to DNF that race. And then I was like, forget it. We're just going straight to hundred miles. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I noticed you've done this, uh, it's called the ragged 75 stage race. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit about that one. Cause that sounds very curious to me. That's so funny. It's so, that's great that you asked me about it. Cause like literally the day that we're recording it, it's the first day of this year's race. They start oh, really? on Friday. Okay. Yeah. So today's the first day of the race. It's super cool. I originally got turned on to this race because it's run by a local, you know, local 603, um, endurance team here in New Hampshire. And I was, I wanted something that would help me train for my first hundred miler. And I knew that it would be challenging for me to do my own back to back to back days of running. And in keeping with my like whole ethos of picking big, scary challenges, I'd never run more than two days back to back, you know, maybe, maybe a 20 miler, maybe a 15 And I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to run a hundred miles, then I need to stack up some miles and really see what it's like to have super tired legs. So I was like searching ultra sign up like we do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I came across this ragged stage race and it's basically three days of running. And you do roughly (laughs) at the ragged stage race, we talk about miles in ish. So it's like (laughs) roughly 22 ish, 24 ish. And then I think it's like 34 ish is the last day. So cumulatively, it's somewhere around 80 ish miles over the course of three days. And you you go point to point and it's on the Sunapi ragged Kearsarge Greenway. I have that, I have it in the wrong order, but it's on that Greenway trail that already okay. exists up there. And so you go point to point. So day one, you do 22 miles and then you camp out 
Cool. Usually at like a local school. So you bring your own tent and you stuff and you just camp out. And then the race will move all of your stuff for you to the next point. So you get up day two, you run the next segment of the course, and then you camp out that day. And then on the third day, it's a 50 K and that section, that day of racing is actually open to a wider group of runners. It's um, sold as a independent 50 K as well. So you can do either the three day or you can do show up on Sunday and do the 50 K. And so, you know, you'll have three day stage racers running at the same time as 50 Kers show up on Sunday. So it's kind of a, it's a really fun event. I wish I had, I wish I was doing it this year because it's so much fun. Well, weather's got to be beautiful for it this week. So it's actually not bad today. It's a little like overcast and not too hot. And I think the next couple of days are going to be pretty decent as well. So yeah, they look like they have some good weather. So then your first hundred miler, was that the ghost train? It was ghost train. Yep. Okay. And where is that one run? That is on the rail trail between um, Milford and Brookline, New Hampshire. So it's about 30 minutes east of me. And it's, um, it's a cool little section of trail. It's, it's all open to the public. Some of it's paved, some of it's dirt, some of it's grass, like it's, and it's super flat with the exception of this one little bump on one end of the trail. (laughs) You can barely even call it a hill, but it's a really popular race, largely because of the format. Like you can sign up to do the hundred miler, but you get credit for doing any multiple of 15 miles because that's the, it's an out and back course. Oh, cool. Okay. So it's great. So you can sign up to, you know, even if you sign up to do the hundred miler, like I did my first year. So technically I DNF the hundred miler the first year, but got credit for running 75 miles. And so people like it because, you know, you've got 30 hours and if you want to go for a hundred, you can, otherwise you just run multiples of 15. That's awesome. That is awesome. So what did you learn in your first hundred miler? So many things, (laughs) so many things. Where do we start? I think the, um, the biggest mistake I made was I treated it like it was a 50 miler because if you remember, like I DNF'd a hundred K, so I didn't really have that experience. So I went out too fast. I did a horrible job with my nutrition. I have so many great stories from that first one. One of the, one of the mistakes I made was I left camp sort of like home, the home base end of the the camp set up, uh, going into, I can't remember what lap it was specifically. I think it was going into my 60 mile lap but I didn't have the right layers. So I left camp. And by the time I got to the midway aid station, which is roughly halfway on the course, I was hypothermic. I was vomiting. I I was like, I was in a bad way. And I had a pacer with me at that point, which was very helpful because otherwise I'm, I'm not sure I would have been able to make it to the other end. And then on the way back from that lap, uh, I got, I was super tired. It took me you know, time is very fluid in an ultra too, especially in a hundred miler. So I really have no frame of reference for exactly how long it took me, but it took me some ungodly number of hours to navigate myself the seven and a half miles back in the rain. Oh my gosh. And this Um, is like October, middle of October. Yeah. And so it gets a little cold around. It, It can be beautiful around here in October, or it can be very very crisp and it happened to be crisp and cold and rainy at the same time. So I got back to camp and, um, I had given my husband the, the speech, like in no uncertain terms, you are not allowed to let me DNF this race. Like, don't let me drop out. Like, unless I have a bone protruding from my (laughs) body and I'm bleeding or I'm medically tapped out, don't, don't let me drop. And he had actually walked backwards a little bit on the course because he was looking at his watch and like, thinking, okay, she's taking a long time to come back. So he met me probably half a mile out and he took one look at me and I, and I had spent the last, you know, two hours playing angel and devil, you know, with myself, like, do I stay? Do I go? What do I do? Um, And I had come to the conclusion that like, I was okay with stopping. I had learned a lot of lessons. My left knee was also doing some really funky things and I was like, you know what? I, I really want to live to run another day. Like nothing serious is going on, but I have learned a ton of lessons and I don't realistically think I can go another 25 miles without doing some serious damage. 
And he was such a good soldier. He's like, no, we're going to do this. We're just, I've got some oatmeal cooking. You're going to be good. We'll get you changed. I was like, I looked at him and I was like, no, I'm, I'm really good. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm, I'm really okay with this. <laughs> that is so much fun. Yeah. We ultra runners are really weird. Yeah. Cause we, we play that devil and angel a lot, you know, yeah. do I want to keep running? I do want to keep running, but don't want to keep running. Yeah, we do that a lot. So you DNF that first time, learned yep. a ton of lessons, came back and obviously applied them pretty well to the second time, right? I did. Yeah. So uh, I had my plan all dialed in for the second time. I made none of the same mistakes, which is always a good sign. Um, I had a better food plan. Um, the, the weather conditions were a little bit more favorable the second time. So I didn't have to worry about uh, I mean, I had all the, the the necessary layers, but it wasn't, you know, such a dire situation. I had, I had another pacer and it just like everything just sort of clicked into place, you know? And I feel like had I not had that first experience and had I not really paid attention to all the mistakes that I made that second time could have been a repeat, but luckily it wasn't. So awesome. I had a good time. It was a good one. Sleep deprivation too. That was the other thing I forgot to say. I really did not plan adequately or train adequately the sleep deprivation for that first time. And so that's what I did more of the second time because awesome. I'm someone who likes my sleep. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, solid eight hours of sleep a night. Yeah, yep. it's awesome. So that <laughs> but I do crazy runs like I'll take off on a Friday night and go, OK, I'm just going to I have to push myself because I, I have to know what it feels like at two in the morning. Yep. when I am so foggy brained that I just want to stumble over my feet. And so, mm -hmm. that's, yeah, I'll just go out and do a 10 hour yeah. run and just for the hell of it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can file that one under quote unquote crazy, right? <laughs> yes. I, yeah. My wife definitely thinks I'm insane. So um, cool. So we would go on from there and everything. And now obviously um, the COVID hits in 2020. Mm -hmm. So what all had you had planned in 2020 that now you're doing virtually? I think I had sort of seen the writing on the wall when it came to this stuff. And I didn't have any races planned for that year, or it's actually so funny because I I'm sort of drawing a blank. I feel like maybe I was going to do ragged again. And maybe I was going to do another one. Oh, I know what I wanted to do. I think I wanted to do um, the Kilkenny Ridge race that's up here in New Hampshire. And that was canceled. So like, you know, at the beginning sort of like midway through 2020 was when races were, you know, just getting chopped left and right. So I think I really just put running races on hold for that year. And I just really focused on running and walking around here because around I sort of live kind of in the middle of, the no of nowhere. So there weren't any restrictions on us as far as going outside, spending time outdoors. I mean, it it's pretty rare that I see anybody else on the roads and or on the trails around here, unless I go at a like peak sort of traffic time, like on right. a weekend or something. So I just, I just sort of went about my business as usual okay. <laughs> and just sort of like kept up running and walking and hitting the trails and doing all that fun stuff. The trails did actually get a lot more busy around here because people were migrating from other areas like so all, all of our quiet trails around here suddenly got much, much busier, um, which is great to see like more people out on the trails, but I was like, oh man, this is usually like a very quiet time. I'm going to have to adjust my schedule now. <laughs> yeah. That's always fun, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. My wife and I moved from the middle of nowhere, Wyoming to mm. Virginia beach, Virginia mm. during COVID that was different, but um, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we moved from social distancing is just sort of what you do in Wyoming yeah. to how do you do that here? So yeah, it, it was a, it was a huge adjustment. So then now you, did you do Barkley fall classic? I did. I have done BFC. I've done it twice, actually. That is awesome. What do you think of that? It is so much fun. However, okay. the disclaimer is if you don't, if you find comfort and safety in knowing what the course is and do exactly <laughs> how far you're going to run ahead of time, don't do it because like it's, you know, for some people it's very unnerving a not to know exactly how many miles it is and B not to know where the hell you're going until you get this very cryptic map. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to lie and say that it's like super helpful, but I think it's super fun. Like it is, you know, if you want a real challenge in terms of 
elevation and time and, you know, mental fortitude, like, and resilience, like that, this is a fun, I've convinced many people to throw their name into that, into the hat for this race. So (laughs) yeah, I, I, that's, it's on my list for 2025, maybe I'm, I'm doing six days at the dam. Mm-hmm. in 2025 or 2024 so I, yeah. I i it's like okay do i do it in 2024 throw my name in the hat because it sounds kind of interesting because i'm like i can get lost in my backyard so <laughs> oh, i'm like geez. this would be <laughs> this should be the ultimate challenge because you know i could go do this and god only knows where i'd end up so yeah. you know it could be really fun so. yeah well if you unless you know if you're super if you're on the faster side you could just hang on the back of the front of the pack and those guys like they've done it so many times they they sort of know the trails by the like the back of their hand so you could just sort of hang onto their coattails and and follow along <laughs> yeah i i thought it was funny because you said that you're, you're a slow back of the pack runner i yeah. i have never known what the front of the pack looks like yeah yeah because they're all done showered you know had their massage and everything by yep. the time i'm you know coming through that last cutoff you know so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, i'm the same way i i'm, I'm, I'm a friend of cutoffs yeah. So, yeah. Like the, the sweepers and I have, have a good relationship, you know? So yeah, that's, that's me, but so Tahoe 200, and then we'll jump into what I really want to talk about. So yeah. tell us about Tahoe 200, because obviously it just got ran last week, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. you're, you're a veteran now. So tell, tell us what it was like. And you did this uh, last year, correct? I did 2022. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Last year's race. Um, gosh, I mean, we could do an entire like episode just on Tahoe 200. It it's it's such an amazing race, just in an amazing place. It is a challenge across the board on every single ultra running front. You know, nutrition, sleep deprivation, time on feet, pacing, gear. I mean, all the things. Um, so you know, realistically, I couldn't have done the Tahoe 200 without having done all of those other races, especially my DNFs, my hundred mile DNF, my hundred K DNF. I just wouldn't have known all the things that I needed to know ahead of time, but it's an amazing race. Um, It's in a beautiful location. The course sort of changes every year just because of the nature of the beast. You know, originally the course was all the way around the right. lake. Last year, my my year, we did Homewood, which is on the California side, up and over the top to Heavenly, which is on the Nevada side, and then back again. Wow. This year they did, they flipped it around and they did Heavenly down to sort of like Armstrong Pass, which okay. is like 30 miles out and 30 miles back. And then they went up and over the top, but not all the way to Homewood and then back again. So it's a little different every time. Okay. It largely changes depending on like the year that I did it last year, we were going to go all the way around, but then there was a fire down in like, if you're looking at the lake down in like the bottom left-hand corner that they were going to do some trail maintenance on, like it basically was impassable and it wasn't feasible to get you know, 200 runners and aid stations and their crews through there. So that's why they did Homewood to Heavenly and back again. So, but it doesn't matter what the course is, you're still going to get lots of elevation, lots of challenging terrain, just from a, you know, elevation profile, you're going to get some beautiful views. You're going to get some, to meet some amazing people. I mean, I just had such a good time running with people that I didn't even know, like, you know, you just catch people chat for a little bit and then move on. It, it was just like an amazing, an amazing experience. That is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 200s are a different animal, aren't they? For sure. So I talked to a friend who had done it, maybe it was 22 or 21 that he did it. And he gave me a lot of like really good information that I incorporated into my training. And I think one of the, again, the biggest pieces for me was just the sleep deprivation yep. because of the, it took me like 96 hours and change. We had a hundred hours my year this year, they had 105 hours to complete the course. So of the 96 hours and change that I was out there, I probably was only stopped at a sleep station for six of those hours. Okay. So I was moving for 90 hours and not, not 90 hours straight, but damn near close to it. So, you know, learning to, like you said, go out at night for a nighttime run for 10 hours on no sleep is really super important. It was, I did a lot of that for my training to help me with that. Did you take any trail naps? 
You know, I, um, I tried to take a couple trail naps with my pacer Frank during this one section, but we just couldn't find a place that was suitable to lie down because we were sort of in this long section where there were lots of rocks and right. like rock outcroppings. And I just couldn't get comfortable. And there were people that were passing me by. At one point I did, I think I told this, this story on, on my podcast, but at one point I called my husband, this is probably like day three. I was on a section of course, and I called my husband and I was like, I think I messed up. I think I've missed the time cutoff. Can you see me? Cause we're all wearing spot trackers. Right. Can you see me? Like, did I miss? And he's like, you're fine. And so after he told me that I was sort of like, oh, phew, like there was this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to sit down here and take a quick nap. And then I'm going to get up and go again. He's like, okay, you know, set an alarm. Well, I set an alarm for like 10 minutes and I sort of like just snuggled up to this huge tree that was on the side of the trail. And I didn't fall asleep, but I just closed my eyes and sort of like reclined against this tree for maybe five minutes. And I got up. And it was like, it was like, I took a Courtney DeWalter, like one minute power nap type of a thing. It like, I got up and I was like, okay, we're ready to go. (laughs) That is so awesome. Yeah. This whole thing of like running multiple days, days over days on end on end is like really interesting to a lot of people. And the sleep strategy is one of the most key components of it. You know, like when and where are you going to try and sleep? What's your backup plan if that doesn't happen, right? Like if you go faster or slower, are you going to sleep during the day when it's hot potentially? Are you going to sleep at night to sort of keep with your regular circadian rhythms? Like what are you going to do? So for me, it just sort of lucked out that I was sort of sleeping at night. Like sometimes it was like three to 5 a.m. So kind of night, but breaking into day, which I actually think worked in my favor because then I was like, okay, it's daylight time to get up and go again. Um, But it's like a tricky, tricky aspect of 200 milers that I think freaks a lot of people out. So (laughs) practice. (laughs) That is so awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on your finish. That is such an accomplishment. So let's jump into the part that just so intrigues me. Yeah. So Megan has decided to throw this big, huge, audacious goal out there. So I'm not going to talk a lot about it. I really want you to talk about your your coaching, mm. how you came up with this idea, and where you see it going. I think it was after I finished my first 100 miler, so like a couple of years ago, I was just like, you know what? I think more people need to do this and not specifically run a hundred miles, but like more people need to run ultras because, you know, we're sort of, sort of like preaching to the choir here. Cause you and all of your listeners already know this, but like when you run an ultra, you sort of have to level up on all fronts, not just with your running, because now you're running longer and maybe more challenging things, but you have to level up your sleep. Like we were just talking about your nutrition, your mental skills, like you know, just how you navigate everyday life and scheduling so that you have time to do this, this big goal, which is to run an ultra. And, and I, you know, again, I was like coming off the back of a hundred miler and I was like, you know what, specifically, I think more women need to do this because I know how much it's benefited me just in my like every day. And I want to help more women do this. So I sort of like sat on this idea for a little bit and then like I probably like a year went by and I, the whole time I was just trying to conceptualize and like, okay, how am I going to do this? Like, I want to help more women. Like, what am I going to do? And I was working with people one-on-one and in some small groups, but we weren't doing like, I wasn't like formally saying this is the objective. And then at one point I sat down and I was like, it was sort of like a little light bulb moment where I was just like, why don't I just help women run their first 50 K So I started to do some small groups, like, you know, six to 10 women, because I really wanted to get to know them and personally coach them through this process. And at some point through that, through that first year, because I I ran those programs for probably about 18 months. I was like, you know what, I I need my own goal as it pertains to this, because I really do best when I have a goal and it can, you know, it can be a little one to get me started, but I always have to have like this big goal sort of dangling out there. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just like make this goal to help as many women as I can. And then 
the coach in me was like, that's a terrible goal, Megan, because there are no parameters around it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This could just be infinite. So then I sat down and I was thinking about other numbers. And at one point I was like, I'll help a thousand women. And then I was like, nope, you're taking the easy way out. And so finally I was just like, okay, I wrote the number down a thousand. And then I just put another zero on the end of it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to set this goal. I'm going to try and help 10,000 women run their first 50K over the next five years. And if it takes longer than that, then that's fine. But like I needed to put some parameters on it. So that's the, that's the big scary goal. That and it is it is amazing. So and you have built an incredible website. So tell us your website. So um, it's called She Runs Ultras, which is the name of my podcast as well. But basically, the She Runs Ultras membership is a place where I'm doing all of my coaching now for women. So you can sign up to be a member, and inside that little corner of the internet lives the run your first 50k program, which is sort of like my my baby, the thing that sort of started this big goal, as well as a whole bunch of other resources. I mean, there's weekly coaching from me where I'll help you live on Zoom or via email. There's other amazing women in there, a variety of whom are training for things that are 50k level and beyond. So we've got a nice sort of like smattering of women in there from all over the world too. So we've got women from the States and from Canada, we've got some international members as well. And basically it's just, I wanted it to be like a one-stop shop for women's ultra running where you could come if you are like just hearing about ultras for the first time, and maybe you run road or even trail halves or fulls, but you're wanting to go to the ultra distance and you just, you don't know what you don't know. I'm sort of thinking about this as a place, like the one-stop shop resource where you can like jump in and be like, okay, I know nothing about ultras. What do I need to know? And then we can help guide you through that process. Right. And you provide training plans if they, Mm -hmm. if they want it. Right. Mm -hmm. And now one of the things I love about your approach is the whole preventing injuries, because I know that's, I I am one of those people, I just sit there and I tell people, you know, it is not worth it for me to run if I'm running so aggressively that I'm constantly injured. And so I literally spend hours each week studying how to make this almost 60 year old body move long distances without injury because I don't want to not run next week. I want to be able to finish a race, you know, like just finish a 10 hour race on Saturday, back at training on Monday. Yep. And I, so I love your approach to preventing injuries. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. Well, going back to sort of like my origin story, I grew up obviously playing sports and I played a lot of softball. I played second base. And so for those of you guys that are familiar with sort of like the ready position in softball, I spent a lot of time bent over, like with my glove down on the ground in that that ready position. And over the years, I started to develop really bad sciatic pain on my right side. And I was in college. So like think, you know, 21, 22, maybe ish. And I was having these shooting pains up the the right side of my body. And this, it went away when I didn't play softball, but it came back when I started to do all of my running post graduation. And I didn't, you know, back then I always tell the story about like in college and, and beyond, there was no real training for female athletes. It was sort yes. of like, here's the weight room. If you know what to do, have at it. I mean, we as a team were taking, you're going to laugh so hard. Don't judge. We were taking like Cosmo workouts, the workouts in Cosmopolitan magazine and the ones from like muscle and fitness, like the at and that, combining them and combining them. Oh like we God. were trying to figure out like how to do this on our own. And <laughs> so So, I mean, that was the extent of my like collegiate weight training. And so that, that sort of like DIY theme carried itself through and it culminated in a, in a run when I was living in Connecticut, where I came home and I laid down on my living room floor and I tried to stretch. And then my back seized up so bad that I couldn't get off the floor. This is, this is a hundred percent a true story. And long story short, I had to call a friend who in turn called her chiropractor, a guy that I had never met before to come over <laughs> into my home and scoop me off the floor because oh I was gosh. in so much pain that I couldn't get off the floor. So ever since then, I have made mobility and yoga and stretching an integral part of my life. I had to figure it out for like the first five or six years. I didn't like instantly 
you know, find the solution to, to my sciatic pain. It took me five or six years to like go to different practitioners. Every doctor that I went to wanted to just give me super high powered and said drugs or do invasive muscle testing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I think we're skipping a step here. I think that there's something at a lower level that we could explore that, you know, isn't going to be so costly or invasive. And so that sort of set me on on this whole trajectory. So we're sort of like coming full circle here on like how I ended up being a coach in the first place was because of my own pain story. And so ever since then, I've just sort of been trying to make this an integral part of my training. And it looks like a few different things. It looks like yoga in a very formal yoga sense with a little bit of a mobility twist on it. It looks like functional range conditioning, which is a very specific type of practice where you focus on the muscles and the joints and trying to get strong from the inside out versus the outside in, which I think is, was the way that I was trying to approach it back in the day. And so that has really made a huge difference for me over the years. And it's, it's really what has helped me get through all of these races without a single recurrence of my sciatic pain. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, is that the part of your training that you call the kin stretch classes? Yeah. So kin stretch is, it's a form of functional range conditioning. It's basically the group setting type of class. So FRC functional range conditioning is typically done in like a one-on-one context, like trainer and athlete. When you're going to teach it to a larger group of people, we call it kin stretch because they're just some, like you'll teach the same things, but you, you sort of have to teach it to a group. So, you know, you have to adjust what you say and how you flow through things for the benefit of the group. So yeah, they're basically one in the same, just one-on-one versus group context. That's perfect. And you've studied specifically how to apply this to women because women, which I love because there just is not a lot of this. I mean, you've got Sally McRae and the two strong and everything, and she's phenomenal. Yeah. But I, I love the way that yours is set up and everything, because you've really studied how to make this something that any woman off Mm. the street could, could come and do this. This Isn't that you do not have to be an athlete to be part of your program. That's what I love. You can step into this. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird position for me to be in because I don't consider myself a super athlete. I am a regular person. I, yeah, I played sports growing up, but I wasn't an all-star. I wasn't, you know, championship level. I played D2 division two softball, like not D1. I mean, I was decent, but I, I wasn't great. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that I have a lot of skill. So my rationale is like, if I can do it, then you can do it. And I'm literally mapping out the steps that I took and sharing the process and being like, okay, first it starts with the daily shakedown. Then you start to walk more. Then we do walk run intervals. And then we start to see, okay, how are all the joints doing? Do we need to focus on one specific spot or another? If you've had recurring injuries in the past, those are the places that we want to start to look at first, because if it's been a problem in the past, if you do nothing about it, it's going to be a problem in the future, especially as you start to stack on miles and strength training and all of that stuff. So I think it's, it's a myth that needs to be dispelled that somehow, and this is no knock on all the, all the super fast, like professional ultra runners out there, but it is a very accessible sport for everyday people straight off the street that can come in and do this very successfully, as long as they sort of ramp up appropriately and don't just dive right into the deep end, because it's been my experience. I've watched a lot of athletes do this. They, they do all the Googling and they look at all the things that the pros are doing, which is great but you can't go from zero to a hundred miles per hour and do all the things that that the pros are doing on day one. So my approach has really been, okay, that is the goal. We're going to get there, but we're going to take the longer route, the the longer, less sexy route, right? Like you're going to do a little bit of work to get there. But I promise when you get here, it's going to be that much more exciting to you because you won't have had 
the stress fractures and all of the other IT band syndrome, like all the other things that you hear people talking about, just because that can happen doesn't mean it's going to happen to you on your route to becoming an ultra runner. And here are some of the preventative measures you can take in order to keep that from happening in the first place. That is so awesome. Yeah. yeah. And once they get into the ultra running community, then they're going to discover what a special community it is that yes. you don't have to be a superstar to, you know, have somebody cheering you on mm-hmm. and being excited about you finishing a race at, yeah. you know, 32 hours, you know, 31 hours and 59 minutes of a 32 hour cutoff. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's where it just gets so exciting to see people to be part of the ultra running community. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, really love what you're doing. And I, your approach is just so spot on. Thanks. Yeah. So where did you come up with putting this all together? I know you've used it on yourself, but obviously you've read a lot or studied a lot or something Where Where have you come up with this, Megan? Well, a lot of it is, yeah, self-generated. I just learned, I often joke with all of my athletes, like I've learned so many of these lessons the hard way, and I'm trying to help you avoid that situation. And so I just started back in the very beginning, right when I was figuring out how to deal with my sciatic pain, I started to do yoga. And then I decided, okay, well, I, I really liked strength training and I know I'm not doing that. So let me go get certified as a personal trainer. And then I got certified as a yoga instructor. And then I got, you can, you're going to see a theme here. And then I was like, oh, this whole FRC thing, this functional range conditioning, it's super interesting to me. Like, let's figure out how to do that. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, then I need to know how to properly assess people like when I work with them. So then I got certified in the assessment of that. So it's just been this, I've, I've always enjoyed learning. Like I'm a really good student. I really like learning. So it's been this journey of, oh, what's this? Let me learn about that. Oh, what's this? Does it complement that? And then I've enjoyed sort of weaving the things together. And another joke that I have with all of my athletes is like, I'm the guinea pig. I will always try all of this stuff on myself first and then report back again so that, you know, if I'm going to, if, if there's a mistake to be made, I'm going to make it first. And then I'm going to tell you how to avoid it. And I just really enjoyed putting all of those pieces together. Then I started doing it on a very like low level with my one-on-one athletes and was getting really good feedback and results from them. They'd be like, you know, I used to run this race every year and every year at X mileage, my body would just fall apart. <laughs> like the wheels would just come off. And this year I ran it and I had none of those issues. And I would just be like virtually fist bumping them that and being awesome. like, this is so great. And it really comes from just a few tweaks and a little bit of planning, which I think is if I had a, if I had a soapbox, <laughs> if I could only have one soapbox, actually, it would just be do some better planning around your training. And I'm, I'm sure this wouldn't surprise you, but I talk to a lot of people, both athletes that come in and just like people that I know in general, like I teach a couple local classes here at a gym close by, and I'm always getting questions from the runners in my group. Like, Hey, what about this? What about this? And it never ceases to amaze me how many runners just wing it when it comes to their training plan, like how many miles, what's the progression, you know, how long they're going to take to build up to this race, but also the, the other components of their training, their strength training, their stretching, you know, their mobility practice, like they just sort of take the deck of cards and just throw it on the table and just, you know, with like a, with their hands, just, you know, shuffle the cards on the table. And then they just, every day, they just randomly pick a card. And to me, that doesn't sound like a very good way to do it. Sounds very chaotic, sounds hard to manage. And one of my biggest things with all the athletes that come to me is like, okay, we're going to reverse engineer this. So what's the race you want to do? Okay, let's back things up at least 20 weeks to find your start date. If we've got more time and you are really new to ultras, we're going to back it out a little bit further and practice walking and zone two training, you know, breathing through your nose. Like we're going to do your mobility stuff, like make that ramp up more gradual and less of a steep incline 
so that they have a greater rate of success. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I always tell people, in fact, the podcast before yours is me talking about what I call smart training. Mm. And, you know, so, you know, like the S is for strength and stamina yep. and building that. And the M is, you know, movement. And I tell yep. people, look, it doesn't matter how you move because in an ultra, you're going to walk. So, you know what? You should spend at least one training day a week, possibly mm -hmm. maybe every two weeks doing nothing but power walking. And mm -hmm. so I love that you're emphasizing this. Well, that like breaks my heart when I see people get injured, but when I see people get repeated stress fractures or just repeatedly rolling their ankles, or I have cranky knees and this like knee pain never seems to go away. You know, all of this stuff that is on the whole, generally avoidable, as long as you don't have some sort of real structural issue happening. Right. It breaks my heart when, when people get super excited and throw everything they have at a race. And then they get halfway through or however long, and this thing pops up, they get injured or, you know, they're just too run down. And it's like, these are all, I don't, I don't want to use the word silly, but I, I feel compelled to use the word silly because they're so avoidable. Like with yes. just a little bit of planning and tracking and keeping track of what you do so that you have this historical record. One of the things that I try and encourage people to do is even if you don't care about the data now, if you record it and you, and you house it somewhere, preferably not Strava, like I'm a big fan of training peaks. I have zero affiliation nope. with them, but I just love training peaks because you can get a free account and house data there. And then should you want to do something with the data in the future, you can pay for an account that gives you some more high level features where you can look at, you know, total minutes and total time. And you can track in training peaks, like, you know, you can give the workout a number or they've got like a span of smiley faces, you know, happy to sad or whatever. So if you want to quantify it that way, you can, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So right. you trying to remember, and maybe you have an eidetic memory, but like, you know, people trying to remember the things that they did six months ago or during their last training cycle, when they're not keeping track is silly because it's not going to happen. You're not going to remember, oh, when I do this trail with these shoes, it aggravates my calf. And you're going to have to repeat that quote unquote mistake and learn it again and again and again, because you're not keeping track and you're not being mindful of these things that will eventually add up to something and they can add up to something good, or they can add up to something bad that pulls you off or detracts from your training. Right. Do you talk to your runners about the shoes that they wear? I do. I'm a huge fan of ultras and zero drop, but I know that that's not everybody's jam. I'm never going to talk somebody into uh, zero drop shoes if they haven't expressed an interest in them. And if they don't have the ability to taper down into yes. them, because again, one of the mistakes people make is they just, they're like, oh, so-and-so said these shoes are so great, right? Like I should just go buy some and get some. And then I see this a lot. People come back to me and they're like, Oh, I bought those shoes. I heard you talk about them on the podcast. I bought those shoes. And then my, I ran in them and then my feet hurt for the next three weeks. And I was like, pause, how much did you wear them around your house before you ever took them exactly. out onto the trail? And not because you need to break them in. You actually need to break you into those shoes. <laughs> like yes. there's a little bit of a reverse uh, yep. situation happening. So I do coach them a little bit on, okay, how does your shoe fit? Do you have, you know, are you getting hot spots? Like, let's talk about the fit and the socks that you're using, doing lubrication on your feet, like, you know, some of that basic yeah, stuff. And basic. then we get to shoe because sometimes yeah. you don't even need to switch shoes. We just need to switch a couple like the socks and the lubrication and, and then you're all good. So, yep. so let's start wrapping things up. When is your next, when does your next session start and how many people do you take at a time? Yeah. So the membership is currently closed right now because we just um, we just launched and pulled in um, a bunch of people. So it's closed until late September, early October. And that's when we will open it up again and be accepting new members. And we don't necessarily have like a cycle. Not everybody is doing the same thing at the same time. But when we open again, I will be running the run your first 50k program inside the membership. So 
right now I have the website set up so that if you go to sherunsultras.com and you click any of the, I think it says get on the wait list at the top. If you click any of those buttons there, you can put yourself on the wait list to be notified when we open up again. So you can snag yourself a spot in the program. Perfect. And who should contact you, Megan? Well, the program is exclusively for women. First and foremost, you do not have to have already done an ultra. So anyone who's interested in getting started in ultras is welcome to come and join us all the way up and through uh, any woman who's run an ultra, but feels like there's some aspect of it that they could do better. So, you know, we talk a lot about walking, running, and all of the different types of running that go into a training plan. We talk about mindset and mobility. We do nutrition. We talk about race logistics and race strategy because it's one thing to, you know, do all of the training and get yourself to race day, which again, I go back. This is a mistake I made on my first race. I focused so heavily on the weeks leading up to my race that I got there on race day and was like, okay, now what? Like, okay, the gun goes off and I'm going to run this race, but like, I know how far the next aid station is, but okay, I'm going to run there. And then I'm just going to keep going. Like, how fast do I need to go? Like, where should I stop? You know, if I like, should I stop at my drop bag? What should I put in my drop bag? Like, these are all things that we talk about because again, (laughs) shortcut the process for you. So I know that there are lots of women in there now who have done all the way up into hundred milers that are like, oh, there's this, you know, the one thing that I know I could do better. And if I could do that, then this next race would go better and it would open doors to doing another race or doing a farther race. So women, regardless of whether you've done an ultra or not, are welcome to join anyone who is looking for accountability and coaching and support and to just be in a place because this was a big one for me. My husband was super supportive of me when I was starting out and doing this, but the rest of my family, the number of text messages and like emails that I got from family members and concerned friends who are like, this is not healthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to hurt yourself was, you know, they were, they weren't, it wasn't zero, but you know, right. So I know that there are a lot of other women out there who are probably in that same situation where they probably have a friend or a spouse or somebody in their life that is supportive, a little bit skeptical, and maybe they, maybe they have some friends and they are also helpful, but maybe they just want to really be around women who understand what they're trying to do, get how hard it is to, you know, do all of the things, work and kids and train and any combination thereof of those things. And they just want to sort of like be with like-minded women, then this is the place for them to come and hang out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan, for spending some time with us. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time on Living an Ultra Life.